This is Glistening Particles, and I'm Jane, your host. I like to hear inspiring stories for people that I barely know and share them with you, and that's what we do here. I never know how it's going to go. I never know what they're going to say, but it's always a good story. Before we get started, I want to take a moment to thank you for listening. I'd love to start connecting with you, my listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts about this episode or any of the episodes, watch for posts for each of them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I can imagine the energy of connecting over these inspiring people's stories. I mean, maybe, just maybe, you have the same passion, or maybe you've been wanting to talk to someone with this thing going on. Yes, we need to talk. Come find me. Once upon a time, there was a girl who liked to make art out of found objects. And then she grew up and she saw an artist who was making portraits out of keyboard keys and she was fascinated. So she contacted him and asked him if he would like to come talk with her about the magic things that he creates so she could better understand how he's doing this amazing work. And then he thought about it and he thought about it and he thought about it and he thought about it. And about 12 months later, he came and talked to her. And here he is, Guy Whitby. Hi, Guy. Welcome to Glistening Particles. Jane, hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. You know, I don't think I've heard you say my name yet, because I think you usually call me um, Particles or something like that. So that was new. That was good. We're building uh, a rapport, trying, right? Yeah, try, <laughs> trying to be personable. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, who we have here today, listeners, is Guy Whitby, who also goes by Work by Night, who's an artist from Melbourne, Australia, where it's a holiday today and last night. So it's probably been a long 24 hours, I'm guessing. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> oh, this is the most fun that when people are in this kind of like, whoa, it's been a 24 hours and then I can just go all over the place. So that'll be fun. All right. So what? Uh, um, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> what were you going to say? Yeah, I, I hope it, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It's been, it's been a fun twenty four hours, and the the public holiday this horse race is today, so we're still going. There's still another twelve hours to go. Oh my gosh! So you're giving up the horse races to come talk with me? Ah, uh, just the morning. Yeah, the horse race is this afternoon. So okay. we, you know, we, there's, there's some scope. We're good. Okay, good, good. I hate for you to miss that. That sounds like a lot of fun. So, do you want to tell us what that is? What is this thing? The race. The whole- Oh, the horse race. It's, uh, it's the first Tuesday in November. Uh, it's a, they call it the race that stops the nation. So it's a Melbourne Cup. It's a long horse race. So there's lots of horses. It's a long race. Everyone gets very excited about it. It's a public holiday. We don't have to work. So yeah, um, yesterday or Monday becomes a default Saturday night, which for, oh. you know, us. Melbournians or Australians, that's pretty exciting. <laughs> I think that's pretty exciting for anybody to have an extra Saturday night. I think that's a good yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. 
So um, how many horses race in this thing? You said it's a lot. Yeah, good. Sir. Um, maybe like 25 or something. Okay. Oh, I'm just pulling it. I'm just pulling that number out of my head, but I think, you know, maybe 20, 20 something. It could be even more, but it's quite a lot of horses. It's a very prestigious uh, race to win. Okay. So, Have you um, ever been close up and watched it? I, I have, and, and it's a beautifully physical thing as these horses thunder past the railing to stand next to it. Is an amazing experience, I mm -hmm. think, and, and one that's unchanged from a sensation a thousand years ago that someone would have stood in exactly the same way as these horses thundered past and that physicality, the ground shakes, it's amazing, that's intense. Mm. That side of it is beautiful. And then, you know, it's a very big fashion event. There's a, for Melbourne, it's one of our sort of calendar events. So there's a huge amount of work that goes into the clothes and the makeup and the hair that people wear. So, you know, mm. it's an exciting, an exciting day and season or a couple of weeks for the horse racing in Melbourne, you know, it's fun. So this is just for the city of Melbourne, right? Uh, yeah. Um, yes. That's kind of uh, cool that they have their own holiday. I mean, here in the uh -huh. U.S., we don't have that where like a city would have its own holiday. It's either like a national holiday or it's not, you know? No, I agree. It is. It's a unique Melbourne. You have to sort of live in the city, mm -hmm. the middle or metro Melbourne. Like you go to a country and they don't have a holiday. Uh, they have like a different, they might have a show day or something huh. throughout the year, which is a public holiday. But yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a uniquely Melbourne kind of thing, which is, uh, yeah, it's nice. We're pretty proud of, you know, the horse race. So essentially we're saying when or if and when, probably when, not if, when I visit Melbourne, I want to come in the second week of November. Yeah, it's a great time to come. It's a huge <laughs> energy. Yeah, uh, it sounds like place. it. And there's a lot of uh, horse racing events before and after the Melbourne Cup as well. It's like a spring carnival thing that we have. Um, uh, yeah, it's a nice time to visit. And that makes it even better, more of a reason to come there because it's spring there and it's not here. Actually, I think I've had, I think you're maybe my fourth guest from Melbourne, which I think is oh. kind of cool because I'm not even we're, from we're Australia. Very... <laughs> no, really? No, um, really. <laughs> uh, well, we're a very multicultural city, I think. You know, mm -hmm. we're quite diverse. Um, and I think the arts or creativity or, or being an individual is encouraged in some ways. So maybe, you know. Maybe that's or, or we're just Or we're just full of it. So <laughs> a lot. You know. Oh, Wait. sure, you can interview me. That's right. amazing. Yeah, that's, no, I don't think it was like that. Actually, everyone that's been on, including you, have been really intriguing. So um, how big okay. is the city of Melbourne, by the way? Um, in a, a geographical sense, it's quite large. Like from mm -hmm. one side of the city to the other side is a long way, you know, mm -hmm. uh, 30, 40, 30, 40 miles almost from one wow. extreme to the, to the other population wise, you know, a couple of million, two, three million, something like that, you know, so it's, uh, so it's yeah, a it's a fun day. City. It's a fun holiday. And it's, it's a great <laughs> fun holiday. It's a great extra Saturday night the night before as well. <laughs> So we should probably tell people what you do, though, now that we've gotten them this far in, right? Do you, Would you like to describe it? What I do? What you do, what your work is. Uh, from Yeah, um, faces, probably portraits. I don't um, have a, a brilliant reason for why that's kind of been something that I've tried to replicate or something I've tried to capture or uh, through, you know, various creative mediums to 
you know, re-represent a face, a human figure. It's kind of what I do. And the thing I know that where I noticed it initially was that you were doing it with keyboard keys. True, yeah, can computer keyboard keys. Has that um, always been where you where you did this, where you did portraits, or have you done it differently before or after? No, definitely. So before uh, at art school was a more printmaking. I studied printmaking. Um, so this was a intaglio process of a copper plate, um, and you you put a like a wax on top of the copper plate, and then you draw through that wax, and it etches in a, a plate that you can print. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of and then we and that was in the early nineties. So that was still. Um, yeah, there was definitely a, a push towards digital at the time, but I kind of wanted that knowledge of um, that analog process. So, yeah, very much the portrait started through line work, through mark making, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. etching essentially. And then it kind of grew and evolved as I did and changed, uh, I guess, this. And as technology grew and changed and technology had a greater impact on my life, I, I felt a need to create a visual response to that. Hmm. So how long have you been doing the keyboard portraits? The keyboard keyboard por- Um probably now, where are we? Uh it's a good question. Hmm. Seven years, maybe a bit longer to seven uh yeah, around about that kind of time. Seven, eight years ago I kind of started and it just kind of grew. Hmm. They're they're incredibly impressive. You know, every time I see one show up on Instagram on the feed, I'm almost shocked by how accurate of a of a reflection you can make of a person through keyboard keys. You know what I mean? It's it's really amazing. Yeah, and for me, there's a fine balance between creating a, a representation of that person, mm-hmm. but still adding you know the elements and principles of an aesthetic. You know, so uh, uh, shape and form and mm-hmm. uh, and comment, commenting, you know, in an abstract way on, you know, through the process of making a portrait. So, yeah, it's a, a bit of a balance between making it look exactly like the person and trying to, yeah, you know, put and, your own aesthetic on on top of it. Yeah. Well, and that's what I think I'm surprised about is you can really get like a um, almost a personality out of it. It's not like a 2D thing when you're done. There's definitely dimension to it, and you can feel their essence through it, which I'm pretty I'm impressed with. It's amazing. Yeah, I think, yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, sometimes when you do something so intently for so long, you lose a little bit of the subjectivity to uh-huh. speak Um um, with any authority on what it is, and I'm so immersed in it, it's like, oh, I think I'm probably ridiculously biased, and <laughs> I've overthought it. You know, it's like if you eat, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every day, right. you're going to get a different, you're going to get a different perspective on. You know, I was wondering on, on, that. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I thought you were pausing. No, no, you're good. Yeah, no. I um, was, I was wondering if when you see, when you meet new people, or you see people, or you see photos, just people you don't know, if like they instantly pixelate in your brain into <laughs> keyboards, keys. Uh, not so much real people. Real people is definitely <laughs> the, pen, the, the pen and pencil. I, I want to 
draw, you know, I'll, you know, and, and to the point where I've got to be conscious of it because, you know, you can start looking a bit too, particularly if it's someone you've just met and, you know, you're kind of sizing up their face like, what is this guy doing? Why, why is he <laughs> sort of breaking down my facial structure or something? But yeah, particularly for people with, who have, uh, you know, maybe characteristics or they have quite an expressive face, mm-hmm. you, you know, you go, oh, I want you to stand there. Where's my pencil? I'd love to draw you. But, <laughs> Uh, where if I see a photo, usually a 2D image, mm-hmm. I'm far more, oh, wow, I know that will work. I know I can distill that element or the the emotion or the, the character in the photograph I see into a, you know, into a piece made of keyboards. So when you make them, are you, do you give them to the people or do they go up for sale or, or do they go in galleries? Uh, yeah, look, uh, most of the work um, lately has been through other people asking, saying, hey, um, I'm doing a show, we're making a book, can you do a cover? Mm. You know, I haven't, hasn't been on my radar to previously. Um, the last six months has changed a little bit, but previously it has just been a process that I did. I just made them. And I thought I'll put them online and share them. And, that, mm-hmm. and it was because of that process, making, sharing, that sort of bore some people, you know, sharing the work online or you know, wanting to commission something. Or so, yeah. Do you often? So I saw you do. Sometimes you do them digitally, even though they're yes. keyboard keys. Are uh-huh. what percentage are you still working in? You know, the tactile process versus digital. Well, this is uh, very much what I'm trying to do now: is focus on the tactile again because. Uh, the digital is immediate, and I mm-hmm. think that's uh, a trap a little bit. You can get caught in the immediacy, the delight of the immediacy. You know, there's an instant response. You can make it and share it and mm-hmm. do something quickly. That, And that's kind of the reason I think people make art or I make art is to, as a response for people to see it and respond to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a bit of a tricky one to, to step out of, and I think, I'm, you know, I'm consciously – or conscious of trying to step away from the immediacy of making in the view to get a response rather than making something for itself. So, yeah, definitely at the moment more getting the glue gun, sticking these keyboard mm. keys on creating a mask, creating other objects that have a, a physicality and then drawing them. So that's kind of from that process what I'm doing at the moment is creating sculptural, more 3D works and then trying to draw them in an analog way. Again, analog to digital is kind of my thing is why the motivation, that transgression from analog to digital. Yeah, I um, have dabbled in art a little bit, but I'm for sure not a professional and I try different things, but I love so much more when I can use my hands than, and I, I mean, not just on a keyboard typing, I mean like actually using my hands to shape something or make it go the way that I want it to versus you know, from a, I'm, I have an IT background, I can do lots of things with computers, but it's just not the same for me from my own fulfillment. Do you find that yourself? Yeah, I think there's something more cathartic in using your hands, like mm-hmm. the process of getting a glue gun and going through a rhythm of gluing the keyboard keys onto a bit of wood or uh, whatever you're making. Uh, 
it's more therapeutic, I think, as you say, because you're using, there's a physicality to it, there's a sense of repetition, and I think that can be soothing that mm-hmm. in a way that um, perhaps working digitally isn't. You know, there isn't that element of process or a physical process. It's much more a mental process. You know, you just made me think of something when you said cathartic. Um, a long time ago, I had a major job thing happen that was not good. And uh, I remember I came home and I had tons and tons of all these papers for a project, colored different color papers, and I sat and sorted them. Like that was my <laughs> sort of therapy to mm-hmm. get through that day. Mm-hmm. And it made me think about like how much time in what you do do you have to sort keys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. That's a very good I was, question. I'm uh, looking at this uh, your <laughs> Facebook page right now, and there's that picture that you have with like a bunch of loose keys kind of starting to form one of your images. And I'm like, oh, I bet there's a lot of sorting. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of sorting, no doubt about it. Yeah, that's that's a tricky one. Um, because obviously there's the collecting to start with, that you've got to go and find these keyboards. And and then once you've got them, you've got to, you've got to clean them. They're pretty manky object as far as <laughs> going to find it an object but the advantage of that is they're mostly free people give them away mm-hmm. they don't really have a commodity and that's anywhere in the world which is kind of lucky some things are more value in other parts of the world where you go but keyboards seem universally disposable like there's no mm-hmm. they don't have a commodity you know there's a little bit of money in perhaps the lead of the keyboard so they might cut that off Mm-hmm. But there's such little value in the circuitry, and you know, some parts of the world they just burn them or bury them. So, yeah, I'm lucky that I can get access to these things. But sure, while you're making them, I, I get different tubs with the different colors and different bits. And as you do in any creative process, that kind of flows. So, at the end of a, a big piece, often I have a huge pile of different <laughs> key board keys. Uh, but again, can there can be an element of therapy in sorting mm-hmm. them back out again? That's what I mean. I think it is. It's part of the, like, it's it's soothing in a way of getting them ordered again. Unless you like chaos, then maybe not, which is a good lead in. Oh my gosh, that was a really pro lead in right right there for your new art that you're doing with the um, machine made pen drawings. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, using a plotter. um, Okay. I, as someone who makes pictures or images I kind of feel that your role or my role is to hold a mirror up to society or the time or the age that I live in and then comment upon the reflection Um, uh, that's kind of how I view myself as an art maker in in order to be relevant or to make a social document or or to do something that resonates or is poignant with it now Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where the plotter came in, um, uh, was uh, to machine, you know, as the the world or our lives become more machine-made, you know, the food, the houses, the clothes, everything is becoming more and more factory-made. Uh, I kind of felt that if I was making art that reflects now that I should use some element of machine. Hmm. It's always it fascinating, fascinating to me how thoughtful artists are like you know on the, on the receiving end of it i'm just going with the emotion or the the reaction that i have to the work and it's i find it so utterly fascinating to hear what comes from behind it because you'll be happy to know that when i looked at the one that's on your facebook right now 
I thought, and I think you wrote on it that, that it was, there's calm in the chaos. The, yeah. the first thing I thought of was that's representing the world today. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you try and, and invariably, you know, most of them fail rather than succeed. But <laughs> I think, yeah, if, if in the original mindset that is your intention, then if some of that ends up manifesting in the end result, well, mm-hmm. then, you know, that's a positive thing or that's a, a more successful outcome. And, and also with the potter, I was, you know, at the time trying to help someone make backgrounds or, you know, the idea in my head was to create a background and then join two drawings together, you know, to get, make this magnificent plotter kind of background where it might have been a, you know, an arduous kind of task to mm. get rid of that and just, just draw the beautiful bit of the picture while still having a surrounding you know, texture that is really nice, but I didn't have to spend six weeks, you know, mm-hmm, with, a pen, mm-hmm. with, with a pen drawing it. Right. Yeah. I, when I look at this particular piece, I like, I, and I understand technology, it's hard for me to understand how you made that with a plotter, like how you got it to do that. Yeah. So like I a, use, yeah, go ahead. I use a, a, an analog image. So for me, it was a, like a granny square. Or it's like a crocheted object, which I really love because it's, a perfect metaphor for the analog world in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this hand stitch. It's uh, can't be machine made. It, it's essentially visual mathematics. So I get this lovely kind of handmade object, and then scan it into Illustrator, and then using the paths, uh, and then put that to the plotter. So it's like a process of getting something analog and then making it digital and then kind of making it analog again using this plotter which is a pen Hmm. Uh, so again there's a kind of a a journey through the creative process that I think reflects the the era that I've lived through or the Mm -hmm. you know my life this analog to digital which is sort of the most prevalent I think thing in my life or a thing that I've chosen to focus on anyway Mm -hmm. and um, even though you said those steps, I think you left out 400 in between each one because it still doesn't make sense to me how you got it there. But that's okay because that's the mystery of an artist. <laughs> and mystery is kind of nice. I think um, people definitely gravitate to mystery. You know, when you have these very predictable, I know where I'm going to be from nine to five for five days a week. If in a moment on their walk home they pass something and you know you can evoke a little bit of mystery that's a nice thing that's absolutely a good thing do you did you always know that you wanted to be an artist i was lucky uh, as a child at 10 years of age um with my brother and two sisters and my parents we went off to europe and spent sort of six seven months going through uh galleries all over you know my father was very much into ancient greece so we spent months crawling around ancient Greece and then through Italy and France going to these amazing galleries. And I, I, I definitely that changed my view. I was mm-hmm. gobsmacked and blown away by these, probably more the these buildings, these beautiful, beautiful houses that had this grandeur and, and they'd paint these ceilings that made them look real, but they weren't. And I was, that just stole me, absolutely stole me. Mm, what a good story. How did you? How did you end up to do that? Like, why didn't my parents take me to Europe for <laughs> seven or eight months when I was ten? How does that happen? I, I know, and 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 it's one of those things that became my normal. 
um, but it's only a sort of, you just realize every year goes past, you go, wow. Don't love, my mother was only talking about it yesterday that, you know, we put the four kids in the back seat and, uh, you know, dad bought a couple of cars and sold them throughout the journey. Look, it was an amazing experience, but you look back now and think, wow, how did my parents do that with four of us kids and for six months and hey. craziness, craziness. Did you ask them? Like, how did they do that? Yeah, a little bit, but, you know, maybe I also think it was a little bit, we were naive or it was more naive then. I mean, there were obviously the issues, but there wasn't the, uh, the terrorist undertone or, right. you know, the worst thing was maybe get pickpocketed somewhere or someone to break a window in a car or something. But, uh, yeah, it was an amazing experience. And, and certainly nice. I've, I've been – and that started for me uh, uh, an affinity with the arts. And I've been back to Paris half a dozen times since and other parts of Europe just because, you know, you get drawn in mm-hmm. purely – Purely by the you know the the aesthetic of everything, a lamppost, a street corner, a public toilet, these elemental parts of life that can be quite uh, functional, you know, in Melbourne can mm. be in other parts of the world so beautiful and so engaging. Hmm. I'm gonna sit on that for a minute. That's a beautiful story. Just reflecting back on that, I love that. Yeah, I um, wish I could convince my family to go do that. That would be. I would still do that now, even though my kids are almost grown. It'd still be fun. Okay, so if you um, if you weren't an artist, do you have any idea what you would do, what your job would be, or what your work would be, or is there just oh. not? It's so far away that you can't even imagine. No, not at all. I mean, I, I teach children, so I work in schools teaching kids. Do you? Uh, yeah, yeah. What yeah. do you teach kids? Art or what? Yeah. Okay. Teach art. Well, look. Uh, um, also, the creative subjects. So that I might do drama, music, art, anything that's a little bit arty farty or you know <laughs> from that kind of spectrum. I'll say, here, go uh-huh. do that. And I, I, I love a challenge. Uh, I'm embraced by a challenge. I'm I, I'm inspired and motivated by success. Not in every aspect of my life, but uh-huh. in you know, um, if I set my mind to something or really focus on something, uh, I enjoy a challenge. So yeah. Um, I've worked with a, a lot of special needs children as well, disadvantaged children who, with uh, physical and, and mental disabilities. And that's a fascinating thing as well to try and understand the way they think and then embody or try and teach them something, be it a life skill, how to catch a bus or how to, you know, cook toast or how to write their name properly. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that, that's a, an engaging journey for sure. What age kids do you teach typically or is it all over the, <laughs> all over the place? Look, mainly they're older kids, okay. and I think, uh, and I probably enjoy that because you can have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Though the next week, the local primary school have a grade one class. They are six or seven year old kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and that requires everything that you have. I think to do it well <laughs> and effective, you'll be forty gazillion questions every day, every moment. So you've got to be you've got to be on your game, which is. You know, again, I like that challenge. Kind of like being uh, on a on an interview with me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all, yeah. All the it, questions, all the challenge. Yeah. Actually. Yeah, but, okay. Go ahead. Then yeah, I have I have something no, surprising to tell you. No, don't go. Surprise me. Okay. So my my teenage son. I actually have one an adult son and a teenage son. My teenage son has an eye condition called aniridia, so he was okay. born without irises, um, mm-hmm. and he's pretty high functioning, but he has a, a vision disability essentially. And it's okay. so weird because before we got on the call, I put a picture on my desk 
in case the opportunity came up to ask you about it. And it's something that he drew when he was about seven. And it always blew my mind because I, I can't see what he sees. You know what I mean? I can yeah, I can yeah. see that, you know, I know his vision is, let's say, 2100. I can put on goggles and see what 2100 looks like. But his thing is he can't block light. So light comes in in a whole different way into his brain. So I'm going to see if I can turn the camera on and show you this. Considering that you actually work with special needs children, I had no idea. That's when it's cool. Yeah. Okay, let me see. Okay, can you see that? Yeah, I can. I can. Okay, so isn't that bizarre? It, it, I mean, it's fascinating um, the That's way it. people perceive um, their world, and it can be so different to our, yeah. our, our you know, normal or standard perception. Um, it's amazing to appreciate mark making through a different perspective, particularly that. So even now that you mentioned that, my, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm pro processing that um, the light, not being able to filter light. What what would that be like? How would that make me feel? How do I feel on a sunny day if I have I don't have control? Do I, would I feel different about sunlight if I couldn't measure or control the amount that was I was perceiving? Yeah, mm -hmm. it's an interesting uh, challenge. You know, he he wears dark glasses and a baseball cap all the time. But and I'll include this picture in the show notes. But basically, for the listeners, it's mo I think a lot of times when kids are younger, they draw the shape and then they color it in, and his is all a series of lines. So we don't know, like, is that how he saw them? So anyways, um, do you find that when you're working with the kids with special needs, it gives you a new perspective on your world? Uh, yes, it does, uh, in every aspect of life. Hmm. I, I had, I had uh, one mother of a, 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 a student come in and she said, I understand how some species eat their own young. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, yeah, um, obviously a, a, a difficult time. Um, oh, a tremendous okay. amount of a tremendous amount of patience is required, I think, when we're dealing mm -hmm. with um, kids with special needs. And that, uh, you know, is a nice thing to take away from when you have other moments in life that are stressful or difficult or confronting or whatnot. Yeah, a lot of them can be solved with a little bit of patience. You know, I'm just going to relax here. I'm just going to mm -hmm. chill. And I think uh, that special needs uh, aspect. Of, of you just need to have patience it is a nice thing to take away into to every day. Now, in, in an art context, again, yes, um, autistic um, people can perceive and sensory process in so many different ways that, that, that you know, amazing drawers who will do 100 drawings in a day and they're spot on, they're perfect, mm -hmm. and that to watch is inspiring and you know, also a little bit depressing at the same time because they're 10 or 12 years old and they have this un measured kind of mark making or line making uh, process where they don't they're not so analytical or self um, evaluating mm -hmm. they can just free they're free to make it they just draw for the sake of making where I think other people or, or higher functioning or normal functioning kids can be very oh I don't like this this drawing's terrible or you know they mm -hmm. that, that process that they go through where they evaluate what they've done you know, is a difficult one where some of these autistic kids are really free. They just make and they don't judge what they're making. And that, from an art maker's perspective, that's a, a very fortunate mindset to have, I think, anyway. I think it's a great mindset to have in a lot of aspects of life. 
you know, even if you say, oh, I'll do that differently. Now. Like, let's say they drew a picture and went, oh, I'm going to do this. That was fun. <clears throat> now I'm going to draw it this way because I want to see what that looks like. If we did that in everything in our life, if we were just like, rather than critical and judging and all of that, because I know I do that myself. I have to, I have to cough, so I'm going to mute for a minute. You keep talking. Oh, okay. Um, no, it's nice. It's nice to be exposed to people who think and process differently. I think definitely it can be inspiring and motivating and and you can also come away with being tremendously grateful for just the ability to pick up and hold a pencil. Oh, totally. You know? Totally. Uh, yeah, that's one of the things that, you know, when you when you're around someone who has a challenge, you know, and you think, "Oh, I wish my hair looked different today." <laughs> I'm like, "Wait a second. Yeah. He can't see, absolutely. right? Like just like just uh, think about that. What would that be like to wake up with? You know what I mean? So it does put things in perspective pretty quickly. I think Very it's cool that so. you're teaching. I did not know that. And that's really a cool aspect of it. Yeah. Uh, I, I think art makers or people who are creative are somewhat drawn to teaching. My, my, I think maybe also because there is not a lot of vocational other options. I think it's definitely <laughs> the default setting a little bit. But... Uh, I think people who have an interest in the arts, um, perhaps there's a, a humanist or there's a, an element of humanity that sort of segues to teaching or, or to passing on or being an advocate for your craft or your skill or your genre or whatever it is. I think that's the way to do it, though. Um, there are people who are really made to teach, you know, and so they find their way to it along with doing their art. But then there are some people that are really better back in a studio doing their work you know what i mean so we've seen some art teachers along the way are like oh that that doesn't seem like the, the <laughs> best one was when when um this one teacher kept telling my my other son um you have to make it this way <laughs> i'm like well then it's actually not art because if you tell someone how to do it exactly like it has to be cut this way or that way it's not creative i guess but anyway you don't tell them how to do it do you Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you must use this pencil. No, um, uh, no the, only, the, the recent, I don't know if you have it, uh, some things culturally don't sort of translate. Textures, I don't know if you know what a texture is. They're like, uh, it's just a way, it's a thing, it's like an ink pencil or whatever that people draw. With. So that's the only thing with the younger children I try and encourage pencil. Oh, right. You know, there's so much more tonality that they can achieve. There's so much more... You know, I think the fine motor skills uh, are developed much better in a pencil than they are in a texter. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a bit of a war on textures that I have. <laughs> you know. and, but they know, and, but I'm lighthearted. Look, you know, I'll always, if a child or a student has a, you know, a really thoughtful process as to why they want to do something, mm-hmm. nine times out of ten, I'm like, sure, whatever it is, let's do it. I'm oh, keen. that's fun. So you it, make it fun. You know, Oh, totally. Oh, totally. And I think that's really important from a teaching point of view is that you've got to come in with an energy. Mm-hmm. You need to ap- approach whatever the task is with an energy, even if it's an exam or a test. You have to, I think people um, feed off that a little bit. So if you bring a funness, a sense of fun and an excitement around a task, people engage in a lot more. You know, they, they're like, oh, what's happening? Oh, this is fun. And, and sometimes you, it's all you know, smoke and mirrors, you're just playing a role to 
to get them on board. But if, you, if fundamentally you believe that, okay, after these 45 minutes, I would like these people to take away something. I would like to <laughs> have them to have a knowledge or a skill that they didn't have when they walked into the room 45 mm -hmm. minutes ago. I'm kind of pull out all the stops, anything that I have at my disposal, you know, music or, or art or, or whatever it is. Uh, I'll be, you know, try and utilize that to engage kids so that, you know, they learn. Well, and I think fun is underrated. I don't think people realize how much just an element of fun can, you know, infusing that not only into classrooms with kids, but into I'm doing that on a, on a, on a project at work lately, this this team, it's like all they needed was someone to just bring a little fun to it and it changed everything, you know? Fun is underrated. It's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think universal as well. But I, I think you also need as a, you know, in your workplace or a self-confidence to be fun. Yeah. I think some people have an insecurity with either their skill set or what they is they do in a, in a workplace that means I've got to stay serious. Uh -huh. And I think you in your profession or in your whatever that you do, if you get to a point where you're comfortable and you, and you go, you know what, I'm good at what I do. Uh, I know I'm good at what I do. So it's okay to have fun. You know, people are, I'm, you know, I'm not afraid of being judged because, you know, I'm, I'm good at this. I do this. So yeah, let's make it fun. It doesn't have to be so serious. I know. I think that's where I am because sometimes I surprise them. <laughs> like, is she really doing that? Yeah, it's happening. It's going on. So um, where do we go next? What else, what else is next on your, like what you want to explore or go after in your career or life? Is there something like out ahead that's, that you're thinking about um, that you uh, want to share? I've never been ridiculously good at setting long, long-term goals. Okay. Like I know, I, yeah, um, I'm doing this thing though with uh, potato mashes. Potato mashers, okay. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. It's uh, part of, for me, a, a post-carbohydrate series. There <laughs> seems to be this element of the world got narky on carbs, and all of a sudden, well, this I have this imaginary scenario in my head, like it's like the 1920s, and a husband is saying to a wife, um, you know, they'll tell you that these potatoes are bad for you one day. You know, they'll, they'll, eventually everything will be bad for you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I we've kind of got there. And to me, the mashed potato was a beautiful thing that happened at, at home, you know, with a family <laughs> and a comf comfort food. You know, mashed potato was the, the delight of my life. And then now it's become all, uh, an a sinister thing, a left-handed, you know, something <laughs> evil. So I'm kind of – I'm using potato mashes uh, as a like a visual metaphor for this post-carbohydrate world so it's, and it's a little bit and it's not it's poking fun a little bit too like it's not overtly serious it's right. not and there's some artists that make a lot of work about refugees and 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 then it's poignant and, and and you know and it's quite serious this is not so serious um <laughs> but it's still i think it's kind to reflect again the age that i live in so yeah it's just on the weekend i spent the night with a backpack of uh, potato mashes and ink and walking around town putting my little oh really yeah so it's so like it's, a, it's like um street art yeah very much it's a street art ah, thing. i love uh, it I, we need pictures of that do they know it's you yeah. are you going to get in trouble for saying it out loud on the well no that's like <laughs> well no i'm good i've got a, a, a yeah at the moment it's it's in its infancy a little bit but uh <laughs> It's it's starting to yeah.
and get a few people that like it and are resonating with it, which is really cool because I kind of grew up um, about an hour from the city in a, in, a, in a mountainous, well, a Melbourne mountain, so it's a little bit of a hill compared to the rest of the world, but it's a green, it's called the Dandenong Ranges, and it's a very green, lush um, kind of environment. And we there was no urban buildings, you know, there was mm -hmm. like one block. So if you went and painted anything on there, they'd come and knock on your door a day later and go, why are you putting stuff down there? <laughs> Um, they always um, do with you. So, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, hypothetically. Uh, uh, but so for me, it wasn't a natural. Even though street art is hugely popular in Melbourne, you know, it's a big part of our our identity. I think, and, and growing ever more so. And there's an acceptance of it, and people, there's tours, and people go and engage. And but because I didn't grow up in the inner city of Melbourne, it was a little bit alien to me. I mean, I didn't feel comfortable walking up to these walls and putting something on them. Um, and it's only after sort of immersing in the city again and spending more time there that it, that it was just something that I felt a need to do. And it's also to put, put my mark around town in the places that I go, the places that mean something to me, uh, you know. So Do people know someone, it's you yet? I mean, are they, is there anyone that knows uh, it's you? Yeah, yeah, there's a few people that know it's okay. me. Um, but there's also that element of, you know, if someone was looking for me, they'd, they'd know where to find me because they're uh, oh, uh, around, I like around spots. Uh, they're around spots that resonate with me. You know, they're like a really great live music venue or a really great restaurant or gallery or something. You know, I've got a the spot has to, you know, resonate or mean something to me. I love that. You should totally YouTube something about that or video something <laughs> about that and post it up and make it and get it to go viral and everybody will be. You know, down with the carb change. You know, I, mean, I don't eat. I don't eat carbs most of the time, like ninety nine. Exactly. Of the time. See, there, see, there you go. You're, this is you're <laughs> someone you know on the other side of the world, literally a, a, a world away, and you have this notion of I don't eat carbs. Where like, is this this global phenomenon? Of the, the, and, and it was something that was so nurtured, like bread and rice and potato, oh, like this staple. This foundation of literally humankind—it's what we've eaten for our entire evolution—and now it's like, oh, right, we don't do that anymore. Like, to me, that's a, it's a massive shift. Did we eat all of that for our entire evolution, though? I mean, I think we probably well, eaten oh, yeah, it for. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. agreed. We according you know, to the, the caveman theory that we didn't. Yeah, but, you know, agreed. <laughs> Undeniably, the first thousand years, ten thousand years, we just clocked stuff on the head and ate it. It tastes good. <laughs> That's dug, such a, dug it up. <laughs> but the thing is, okay, like, here's the thing. So as a mom, it's really weird for me because I don't know how to nurture my kids anymore because that was how I was nurtured was through food. And it was like that kind of food, you know, oh, let's, I'll show you. I love you because I'll give you like this really great meal with lots of good bread and, and potatoes and whatever. And it's weird for me because I'm like, mm, food is now just um, a requirement. You know, because I don't exactly know how to make it really tasty yet. So it's always a practice. But yeah, it's a, it's a real big change. I mean, it's kind of cool that you're making a mm -hmm. statement on it. I like that. So you apparently still eat carbs. You're one of those people. Is that? Uh, no. Well, that's again, I, I've <laughs> sort of gone through, I had a very intimate uh, relationship with bread for a long time. <laughs> uh, we And it got unsustainable. We, we just couldn't keep going the way that we were going. We had, we had to separate yeah and i miss it desperately um you know I, I still have a massive affinity for bread um we will always be close but you know we're just mm -hmm. not good together 
So how long have the two of you been apart? Uh, on and off for a couple of years now, uh, you know, uh, but yeah, mostly <clears throat> 2014 or 15, yeah. 2014, Brett and I had to go our separate <laughs> ways. So do you have a still- favorite? Do you have a favorite thing? Like um, for me, the kryptonite in my house that I have to just like, I don't even know, but it's, they're called Cheez-Its. They're a little square cheesy cracker that are so okay. bad. They're so horrible. Uh-huh. Like, they're horrible. Uh-huh. Or like if I went out to a restaurant and they had really good bread, that would be hard too. But especially Cheez-Its. That's the thing. That's the carb that breaks me down. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That sounds yeah. like a powerful carb. Yeah. <laughs> I'll send you some. You'll see. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, what's yours? Yeah. What's your uh, kryptonite carb? My kryptonite carb? Yeah. Ooh, you know, a hot chip. Oh, is that like a French fry? Yeah, like <laughs> exactly, <laughs> like a French fry. Yeah, we just, oh, you know we have chips. They're hot. They're cold. Uh, but yeah, hot chips is probably so um, like a fried a potato. A fried potato. Like sure. a fried potato. I mean, gotcha. they're fortunate that's not something that you crave or have in your own home. Right. A go-to, um, you know, a bit of toast is pretty amazing. Oh, I know. Oh, okay, they're like killing to- me. <laughs> A toasted sandwich, so like a, we call them like a jaffle or a, a grilled cheese, like a, a grilled cheese. Yeah. Oh, well, that, oh yeah. Go on, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, you have a moment. That's fine. Go totally mouth watering over here. This is not good. <laughs> I'm like, get it all back in. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, I have not let go. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Well, I think, but as you're saying, you, you you don't know how to nurture them anymore. Like it's a lost love. Yeah, we love. This food, it was a comfort food. It was uh, a staple, um, and it was easy. And 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 I think it's a lot harder when you go. All right, well, I'm not eating X Y Z food, as you say. I don't know how to make it tasty. How do I eat again <laughs> if I'm not going to eat this stuff? How am I going <laughs> to eat the fun? You know, uh, I haven't found it yet. I eat a whole lot of vegetables and eggs. That's pretty much my my main lane yeah. of eating, but I, but I eat I, all the time. Like I'll eat it for two meals a day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but and then I'm interested in also is, well, what effect does that have on you as a person? Are you right. happier? Are you nicer? Are you in a, in a creative context? If right. uh, um, for me, the analog to digital, like the typewriter to computer, I wonder, you know, if Bukowski used the PC, would it still sound the same you know if if Hemingway wrote on a laptop would would he write the same prose and I'm a little bit the same with the food now that people are eating so differently and they're so conscious of what they're eating how how does that change a creator how does that change art makers or people who write music if no one's eating carbs are we getting (laughs) more bleak is is the songwriting going to be darker is it or 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 do we just create a bigger fantasy is, is the art making yeah. the music making just more beautiful so it compensates for the fact that you know i've lost a love when it comes to, to bread. eating something right okay. you know um i've substituted so one of the substitutes has been tacos taco truck tacos have taken over my life and they're corn so sometimes i'll have them but but mm-hmm. i do think that i've lost my love of cooking I used to really enjoy. I mean, I didn't. I never. I was never that great at it. I was good at it. People thought I was great, but I was. I would call myself good, not great. But I would enjoy it. You know what I mean? I would enjoy the the process and the recipes and the pro. But now it's like it's just feels like a chore because I'm not good at. I'm really not good at it. It's like eggs in a pan, vegetables in a pan. That's it. We're good. So yeah. Well, I think yeah. there's a. 
Yeah, and I notice when you change the way that you eat that you need to kind of re-educate a little bit because I think when you have these ingredients that you put in, you're not so much um, concerned with um, making it amazing where mm. if it's just eggs and vegetables, you say, well, I need to upskill here. I'm going to find <laughs> out what the, what are the herbs that work here. Is it salt and pepper? What are the garden? What can I use yeah. to make this more amazing? And I think that you, you, you kind of have to do that. Otherwise, as you say, it becomes mechanical. Food becomes something that you do because everyone's telling you that you need to eat something <laughs> rather than a celebration of right. you know, living. I know. And it was really what my mom, you know, flowed all of her energy to her whole life was nurturing us that way. So I have two solutions. I'm waiting for one of them to pan out. Okay. One of them will be that um, I will go to someplace for like, I'll take, go to like a cooking school and learn how to cook again. Or the other is that someone shows up and moves in my house that can cook and then I don't have to worry about it. So those are the solutions waiting for them to happen. Yeah, that sounds, <laughs> sounds viable, definitely. They're both viable. Yeah, that'll happen. You know what? When I started on this call with you, and since I began stalking you over a year ago, um, I never in a million years would have guessed our conversation would have gone to places like um, teaching and special ed and carbs. Never, ever could have predicted that. Well, I mean, I, as a, a you know, someone who makes something creative, I think uh, I want to use uh, my identity of who I am in that process. I think if you're going to look at art or if you're going to listen to music, I think it's more engaging when people put themselves into it, mm -hmm. you know, when it's part of their identity and when there's their vulnerabilities. And that's not easy to do. I don't find it easy being vulnerable. I don't, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I'm pretty lousy in that regard of, um, you know, doing the right thing in uh, you know a space that enables a, a byproduct or a piece of work that you know work for you know where to go you know you try many things and some of them succeed and some of them don't but mm -hmm. i think if you can put in elements of who i am you know that special needs kind of filtered in a little bit to some work that i made definitely you know my diet or the vanity <laughs> or whatever it is that i have right changed, there with you yeah <laughs> yeah crept into to the art that I make and the pictures that I make or the statement that I want to say or, you know. It's kind of cool. And I think that's what I, um, what I try to do in this, in these conversations is bring in an element of myself that helps reflect and shine light upon what you as a guest are doing. So hopefully you enjoyed my side stories because, you know, I was doing that intentionally to bring the element in. Not really. It's just part of who I am. <laughs> Yeah, innately segueing through from you know subject to subject. Yes, that's not, that's it's not a it's not a trained skill. It's just a thing that happens. So I promised you we wouldn't go for three hours, and we're getting close to the end. So I thought the next thing, and unless you have any questions for me, which you don't have to, that was just something that popped in my head. Well, what do what what are you most proud of in terms of a creation? Something that you've made. Mm, um, it's an easy one for me to say. I mean, aside from my children, obviously, but um, yeah, yeah. Uh, this show, for sure, 100%. I mean, I've done different kinds of arts, uh, like visual arts and things like that over my life. And that's not my job, but that's what I would do to feed my my soul, I guess. But this mm -hmm. show, 100%, is I'm most proud of this more than anything. Yeah, wow, that's nice. Yeah, I love it. Part of it is... Um, 
it, it it's like I could tell people, and I shouldn't keep saying this because I actually haven't done crack, but I have a feeling it's like crack the way it lights up my brain. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's nice that you can make your own crack to a certain deal. I mean, that's kind of a cool thing that you can create your own, you know, crack lab. I know, in, right in the here. Context of a podcast. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah, it's it's so incredibly fun. Um, and I'm hoping, like, the next step is to get out in the world more. I mean, I've done some, yeah, like, on-site interviews, but to really uh-huh. go travel around more and meet people and have conversations in person, that which will be really fun. I tell you what I really like also is uh, I'm doing more sitting with real people. Like I want to practice this getting back to the analog drawing, people drawing faces. Mm. And and that process of booking people or sorting out the logistics, I'm not amazing at that. So that process of hassling and organizing and and, uh, and getting that together is sort of something that I need to work on. But then the, the software, I don't know what it is. I'm going to have to ask you how you book. Like you gave me that link or whatever it was for and there were uh-huh. all these dates available. And I'm like, this is perfect. This is exactly what I need. <laughs> I was going to say, up I exactly- could help you with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just to know what the software was. I didn't know what platform it was. But yeah. it's like, you know, this would really work. And so, hey, you know, people, they say, yeah, I'd love to sit uh, for you and do a portrait. And it's like, well, here's the link. Pick a time that suits and you're booked and away you go. Like that. Yeah. I think that's difficult for people to being, oh, can I do it then? Is that okay for you? Am I being presumptuous saying it's okay at 9 o'clock at night? Or, you know, you you try and you obviously you're coordinating between two people. You want to be polite and it's, they're giving up their time. So, mm-hmm. no, I kind of like that. It's a very swanky kind I know. of platform. Yeah. It's super handy. It's ca- The one I'm using now, the newest one that I think you got, is called Calendly. So it's Calend with an L-Y at the end. And uh-huh. it's... Um, I think it's super affordable if you just want to do one kind of appointment. It's free, I think, if you do one kind of appointment. And Sweet. it can t- yeah, and it links to your you can link it to your calendar. So basically your your appointments show up on my Google calendar and I'm, you know, can see everything that's going on that way. And you can request information like Skype names and email addresses, as you well know. So yeah, it's yeah. really easy. Um if you wanna if you need any help getting it set up, I'd be happy to do that. But Thank I think you it's, very much. it's pretty easy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, cool. It's going to happen. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. So these have to be in person, right? These sit for drawing things? Yeah. 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 Look, I've I've spent pretty much most of my life drawing from photographs. You know, not always. I've done a lot of life drawing and done other things, but faces for me has been, you know, any time, any place, anywhere, which has been drawing from photos. Mm -hmm. And I just need to want to must get uh, more involved in the drawing from people sitting in front of you. I think there's an energy, There's it's something different when it's a real person, they're sitting there. It's infinitely harder because people don't sit still. And again, <laughs> they're, they're giving up their time, so you don't want to really, you know, so give you're, them a hard time. So you're doing this for practice, not that they pay you to do it um, right now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah a little, there's a bit of both, but it's mainly I just want to practice. Okay. Like I can do it. Okay. For me, it's taking too too long. Like I know that if a person sits there, I can draw them mm-hmm. to a level that I'm happy with, they're happy with, but it's 
probably a six-hour process. Okay. You know, and, and that's not sustainable. People don't have six hours anymore. Once upon <laughs> a time, no no problem. You know, 1800s, you sat for a portrait <laughs> artist. People are like, yeah, I know it'll take all day. I've got all day. That's cool. I've got nothing People else. don't have that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, or, or it was just something that was accepted. It was part of mm-hmm. your life. You know, you right. maybe you went around in a horse and cart somewhere, so you were good <laughs> with things taking a little bit longer. But uh, um, people had that time to sit mm-hmm. for a portrait. People don't have that time anymore. You know, uh, if they've got an hour, you're doing okay. You know, people's lives are busy. They don't have an hour to just sit and be still and not do anything, you know. I don't um, even know if I could do that, like, for six hours. You know, like you said, I'm like, I don't even think I could. It would be like yeah. I'd have to practice meditating a lot uh-huh. before we uh-huh. got there so that I could sit still. So uh, I need to get, make it quicker. It needs to be a process that mm-hmm. I can make more, more immediate and I can get to the same result in a quicker time. Mm-hmm. So that's a, more the mechanics. And I do believe a lot in the mechanics of drawing. Mm-hmm. I, I do think it's largely smoke and mirrors. I think as an artist oh. you can get caught, caught up in being expressive and everyone goes, oh, oh there's talent. And uh, for me, drawing is largely a process or a skill that you learn like driving a car or any, anything else. I've just got to get, get quicker. Oh, okay. I didn't know it was like that. I, I mean, I guess I can see well, that, but that you can get the – mechanics can still you can still have the skill or like the quality the quality when you speed it up so you think yeah. that's a possibility well a friend of mine he draws very very quickly and he, there's a, a tremendous kinetic energy to the way he draws and i just i can't draw that way i don't yeah. have the confidence so i need to nut it out and <laughs> spend my time sort of compositionally anyway working out i think with every portrait you, you want it to look like the sitter so that's kind of the first goal mm-hmm. is to get everything in the right place and then uh, i think invariably consciously or unconsciously you you put your own spin on it or you mm-hmm. put your own uh, take on 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 that person well of my guests from melbourne i'll have to tell them you're looking for people to sit and be drawn and then there you go you'll i'll hook you up with a few more people hey thank you very much i yeah. appreciate it i think they'll be able to click on that that calendar that yes. be cool. and they've been familiar with that because they've used it all right sweet all right, so um, I want to let people know where to find you. What's the best place to find you? Um, what websites, links, and such? No, if, if you're in Melbourne, you just walk around town, you see like a <laughs> potato masher stuck in a wall. If you hang around, I'll eventually probably turn up. It'll be at a nice place. Now, there's uh, uh, yeah, I've got yeah, yeah, the social media platforms. You can have a look there. Yeah. So I'll link them. What is your? What's the name of your Instagram one again? Uh, 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 guy with guy guy is the, the the Instagram. So oh, you changed um, it because it used to be, wasn't it? Work by night. Yeah, yeah. it did, it was work by night. But um, I, I had a few shows where where people were just using my name again. It was something I was asked to be a part of. I was like, sure, it was a really good charity that was for raising money, uh, and um, they everything was in with Guy Whitby. And, and it was kind of a nice show. I wanted to be a part of it. So I didn't want to rock the boat and say, well, you know, I kind of use this artist's name and stuff. So there, uh, was, there was quite a lot of stuff published with, in my name, Guy Whitby. So I thought, oh, well, I, I, I should use that just for SEO, you know, optimization or all that. But also uh-huh. there's a there's a masher Instagram there too, somewhere too. Oh, really? Uh, <gasps> I want to uh, see it, that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 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 Uh, we're gonna have to make sure we get that info when we're done talking. <laughs> yeah. Have to check that out. Or actually, what is it called? Do you know what it's called? Do you know that? Well, you must know what it's called. But 
People can find it. You, you Google potato masher art or something, it'll, it'll come up. Really? You're going to make me search yeah. it? You are so... <laughs> uh. yeah. Chat, you, you have been um, one of the biggest challenges to get to get here to this conversation, that's for sure. Just for no, anyone, uh, for anyone else though, who's not, who's who's also, you know, holding out, um, was it as bad as you thought it would be? Um, <laughs> no, maybe. Look, maybe uh, <laughs> last last night helped. Um, there's some good music in town, and and today a public holiday. I think all that kind of orchestrated into uh, a lesser degree of self consciousness because I think obviously you're worrying about the words that you say and things that uh, mean something to you or whether they, you know, they're important or they, you know, they're, they're a big part of your consciousness. You don't want to, you know, say the wrong thing or you know, be misinterpreted or people go, oh, my God, I really liked his stuff. And then I heard him talk nonsense. And, God. <laughs> there was no nonsense on this conversation. So it's all good. All right. Yeah. Well, um, is there any, I, I want to just thank you so much for taking the time, especially on a holiday. I feel pretty honored, but apparently there was a plan to that. Um, but to thank yeah. you so much for coming and talking with me. No, you're welcome. I, I appreciate your persistence and patience uh, in, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yep. You're welcome. Well, if you couldn't tell, I was having a whole lot of fun in that conversation with Guy, and that was really my biggest takeaway. I never thought about the idea that when we can go into a group of people or either at work or in life or whatever and be the one bringing the fun, it's because we have a certain level of confidence. I never thought about it that way. And I think what it's going to make me do is maybe look at people differently, especially in the workplace or even when you're out and about in the world who don't seem to be responding to fun or joining fun or participating in it. Maybe it's not that they're not fun. Maybe it's that they lack confidence. So I can try to bring them into the group a little bit differently and make them feel comfortable. And that's a pretty cool thing because we all know the world needs more fun. Thanks for listening. So are you following your passion, inspiring people, and willing to share your story? Then find me, because that's what I do. And remember, keep up with all the news by visiting glisteningparticles.com and signing up for the newsletter where you'll get the inside scoop on where I'll be wandering next, some guest updates, and the latest random acquaintance story. For up-to-the-moment shenanigans, follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you see me post from down the road at your local diner, be sure to drop everything and come say hi, because I love to meet the listeners. Until next time, keep shining. Keep shining.